what does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Hey, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft with Pioneer Rx. And again, we have a great guest with us today. This guest is actually somebody that may be very familiar to a lot of our viewers out there. If you've ever been to NCPA or if you've ever really just been around uh, uh, the pharmacy industry for a while, you probably crossed paths with David Figg. So David Figg joins us today from Rice's Pharmacy out in Kentucky. How are you today? I'm doing great, Will. It's wonderful being here with you. I'm a little awkward. I'm on the wrong side of this. I'm usually supposed to be listening, not being a participant in this. So <laughs> a little out of my element. That's okay. That's okay. Awkward is the secret sauce for this podcast. So no worries. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about uh, Rice's Drug and uh, kind of how Rice's Drug fits into that community because you're at a very small community, um, probably, you know, to say that you serve uh, a certain number of patients would probably be better represented by saying what percentage of the city that you've actually served. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're in Western Kentucky. Uh, you know, as, as you've been here, it is a small community. Uh, countywide, I think we're looking at 10,000 uh, people. City alone, I think it's about 4,000. So uh, we're, we're very small. Um, we've been in business for about 55 years, uh, so it was started by my stepfather. Uh, when I was on the installation team, you were one of the pharmacies that I got to visit and really um, got, to, got to see what independent pharmacy can be, especially in a, a small community and just how many hats you're able to wear and how many creative ways you found to serve your community. So before we dive into the uh, pharmacy side, I think it is really neat to get kind of a full picture of what Rice's Drug uh, or Rice's Pharmacy brings to your community. Sure. So obviously we've got the pharmacy, we've got the durable medical equipment, we've got that kind of stuff. But what you're talking about is our gift gallery. Uh, so we've got about 13,000 square feet here at the pharmacy. Um, and majority of that is in gifts. Uh, so whether it be just um, you know, birthday gifts all the way to, or, you know, um, anniversary gifts all the way down to furniture. Uh, you know, so we d sell high-end furniture on top of that. Um, we do high-end jewelry. We do uh, chocolates and, um, you know, candies. So we run the gamut in what you could purchase here. And uh, it is kind of the one-stop shop for the area. Yeah, it's a really neat uh, experience. I remember, you know, being being kind of new to the team, walking in and just being really uh, kind of kind of floored by the the scope of your business there and all the things you bring to that community. Because in a small community like that, you're you're probably not going to have a lot of options for you know um, a, a big box furniture retailer and um, you know a, a Merle Norman and a candy store like so. It really is this neat slice of Americana where you have that local apothecary meeting so many of those needs for the community. So uh, just a really neat pharmacy to visit. If anyone's ever uh, going through Kentucky, definitely make sure you swing into uh, Beaver Dam. And then you also have another location now, correct? That's right. We do. We've got a, another location just north of us. Uh, it's extremely small in a clinic. Um, and so clinic pharmacy is all it is, but uh, in Fordsville, Kentucky. So, yeah. Okay. And those two are about 30 minutes apart. And um, I, I put them out on Google Maps and just did kind of a street view. I was curious to what the locals would see if, if they were to traverse and, you know, a uh, very rural area, beautiful part of the country, but definitely out there where you probably have a, a really, really large patient base, you know, even if your local uh, population census doesn't reflect that directly in your, in your city. So, you know, how have you found that um, serving in that community 
it's going to be different than what maybe a new pharmacist is encountering at you know their first year at a big box. Yeah, you know, anytime, and, and when you're dealing with independent pharmacies, you know, it's all about the relationship. Uh, it's about building relationship with the patients. Uh, it's, it's less about the pills in the bottle and filling prescriptions and more about building that relationship. And uh, that's, that's, that's how we serve. That's how we take care of patients. So that, that's the name of the game. So did you always know that you were going to jump right into uh, independent pharmacy because the small town of Beaver Dam was just where you wanted to um, stay and 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 never never see the world uh, or 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 were you drawn away from the family business and then and then reeled back in how'd that how'd that come to be because I have to imagine you know there's always that small town curiosity you want to go out and see what else is in the world yeah <laughs> goodness yeah uh, funny question so. I wanted to run away from pharmacy, grew up in the pharmacy, <laughs> wanted nothing to do with it. Um, it, it. And my mind was not wired for pharmacy. So I thought for sure I would not be in the pharmacy. That was the last place I wanted to be. <laughs> so silly me, I went into engineering uh, and I've actually got an engineering degree in computer engineering and a master's in operations. I worked for IBM for for a while and uh, then did um, a lot of software development for manufacturing. And so I did that, all of that kind of engineering stuff for about 10 plus years. Um, and I was actually one of the, the, the weird things. I was in Chicago O'Hare. Uh, I was working on the baggage handling system at Chicago O'Hare. And I just had this overwhelming feeling that I had to go back to the family business, that here I am saving companies millions and millions of dollars and family business is struggling and uh, that I needed to go back. And so that's that's how I got into pharmacy. Wow. Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, maybe that's what it takes is seeing what else is out there, uh, seeing how green the grass is and then realizing, you know, hey, that uh, Kentucky bluegrass was pretty good. Let me get back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it is. I mean, when I got into pharmacy and I came back to the family business, of course, I had a lot of learning to do. Uh, growing up in it was one thing, but getting into the business of it was a whole nother thing. But it was amazing to look back at how all of my experiences in engineering and in operations, how they apply to pharmacy. I mean, it is an operation, you know, uh, there's a workflow to it. And so that it's it's been really neat to see how that that pairs together. Yeah, I think I think you would definitely have a a different perspective without that experience than than what you brought. So how did how did that transition take place? Did you step in as a um, uh, kind of in a managerial or operational analysis role, or did you go in through a more traditional role uh, on the bench? How how did that transition kind of take place? Sure. Not not being a pharmacist, um, I uh, came in as operations. So it was all about just trying to optimize the workflow, trying to figure out where profit centers were and grow that profitability and uh, and just, you know, try to make things far more efficient than they were before. So that's where I started. Interesting. So um, I, I was doing a little bit of web sleuthing, seeing what I could find out about David Fig that I didn't already know. And I was really surprised to find a, uh, an entry on the Dave Ramsey website uh, where he mentioned you and, and it was talking about your success at that pharmacy. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because uh, I'm, I'm and, and Dave Ramsey would hate to hear this, but I've, I've, kind of made the Dave Ramsey-ish commitment, <laughs> which he is not a big fan of. Um, you know, so I'm a big purchases. I'm very careful, but I'm not going to eat beans and rice uh, until the house is paid for. You know, I'm not going that far with it, Dave. So um, if anybody's not familiar with the, the Dave Ramsey uh, financial coaching, definitely something to check out. And uh, I promise that'll be funnier once you do. But <laughs> um <laughs> How do you think that affected, you know, that transition back into, um, you know, a, a privately owned business coming from those larger businesses and, and seeing, you know, that, that uh, larger scale? 
And then do you think that that really kind of made you a better um, caretaker of, you know, your, your pharmacy and, and of your family's business? Yeah, it, it certainly did. You know, Dave Ramsey and that group has been a, a wonderful asset to us. We've we've had a relationship with them for years. Um, they're about an hour and a half away. Their offices are from us, and so we've we've made several trips down. I've taken leadership down um, and met with that group, but they they have been a, a blessing to us. So we've learned a lot. Um, and when you say uh, how has it impacted? One of the biggest impacts is, is from the financial standpoint is just trying to operate this business in a debt free manner. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of those those principles that we try to stick to um, in this business. You can get your head cut off very quickly if you don't watch your finances. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money going back and forth. There's D.I.R. fees and things that change with the stroke of a pen. And so watching the finances and making sure that you operate in a, a very um, practical way uh, limits the risk of that. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, 2024, uh, we talked a little bit about in the last podcast we did, uh, where there is going to be that first quarter where everybody's going to have to be super diligent and hopefully preparing well ahead of time uh, so that they're not caught off guard. Uh, during that first quarter where those DIR fees are going to be, you know, right there on the uh, the point of purchase instead of the, uh, the the back end. So you're going to be paying that fourth quarter and then getting hit immediately with those first quarters. So um, while we're talking finance, do you have any advice on, you know, how to prepare for that and what to expect? Yeah, I don't know any advice. We're our, our approach is simply cash reserves, uh, you know, making sure that we have the cash reserves. Go ahead and calculate what that's going to mean to you. Just like you said, you've got basically you're going to be paying two quarters in one and uh, calculate what that means to you. Make sure you've got that reserve or that line of credit if that's the way you operate things. But uh, it's going to hit. So in your pharmacy, um, you guys have quite a few uh, OTC offerings, retail offerings, gift, uh, household, just all kind of things that kind of help supplement that uh, that prescription income. You know, with the past couple years being really tight with reimbursements and a lot of pharmacies struggling with margins because of those DIR fees and low reimbursements, you know, have you found that certain areas of your business were able to kind of backfill those gaps and, and get you through this season of uh, change, hopefully, uh, on the horizon? Yeah, we always see the ebbs and flows of that. Um, you know, we're always looking at what non-PBM income looks like and how can we grow those non-PBM incomes. You can you can only cut half a percentage points here and there in, in purchasing that only goes so far. And uh, so finding those areas that can that you can add dollars to the bottom line outside of the PBM uh, is certainly a win for pharmacy. And uh, when you compare that up against the dispensing, when the dispensing can lead to that, that's the big win. Yeah. And I guess a lot of those opportunities are really going to depend on, you know, the individual communities that uh, that the pharmacies find their, themselves in and what niche can be filled and and what niche they, I guess, have filled in the community for uh, years and years and years. But uh, have you maybe found some opportunities that you were not excited about that didn't pan out? <laughs> I always have failures, so... Yeah. <laughs> learning experiences let's call them that <laughs> oh absolutely yeah absolutely so yeah there's been uh, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head but there's been all kinds of products that i brought in and thought this is gonna be the winner you know and they're still sitting on the shelf so you know we have those things all the time but you can't be afraid to jump on them try try it yeah yeah it's a funny thing you never know what is going to really you know be the thing that that takes off i have a, a nine-year-old daughter and every now and then she is just stuck on a on a product that surprises me out of nowhere. Like the last one was um, like a random sour candy that is really popular at school and now you can't find it anywhere in town. And I think it's been there for years, you know, so I, I don't know what sparks that that contagious 
drive, you know. Um, I've not figured out how to stay on top of trendy because uh, if I like it, it probably means it's not trendy. So, yeah, you you need to hire a nine year old. <laughs> that's that's the key. But no, you never know. I was in a uh, I was in an independent pharmacy in um, Washington, Washington State, and they had a um, a display rack with these little like squishy, soft like they're little stuffed animals, but they smelled like whatever they were shaped like. So the ice cream cone shaped like you know ice cream, uh, whiffer sniffers, I think they were called. And it was just like that season, they were just blowing through those. It was a great retail thing, but you never know what's going to strike gold like that. That's right. Yeah. And what we see on the retail side is if we pick up on something like that, like that's a that's a perfect example of one of those things that my kids have them. Everybody has that thing um, and they yeah. sell like crazy. But the one thing that we've always figured out is once they start selling, don't keep reordering because you're going to sit on a bunch of these things in the end because as quick <laughs> as it came on, it's going away that quick. Yeah, you you don't want to have the uh, the the seventy five percent off rack of those next season still sitting there. Um, there's something to be said for creating scarcity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, back on the pharmacy side, you guys um, offer quite a few different solutions. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing there outside of dispensing. Uh, so enhanced services. I know you're the um, the head luminary there and the Kentucky uh, CPESN group. So tell me about some of the enhanced services you offer. Yeah. So with CPSN, you know, we've been doing that for a while, trying to push on that. And of course, that's an ever evolving thing. It keeps changing on us. Uh, we keep learning more and growing more. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, programs here in Kentucky with Medicaid MCO and a few other little things that uh, the, the MCO programs are pretty good where you're managing patient care. And so we've got some great pharmacists that do that, that kind of monitor those patients, manage them, touch points with them every month. It's been a great program. And I love seeing pharmacy get involved in the care that they're capable of, uh, capable of outside of dispensing. And, uh, you know, obviously the dispensing brings it along, but, uh, kind of finding those niches. And I think, uh, you know, we've been doing some great things there. Uh, We've got, you know, obviously different, um, you know, blood pressure monitoring and that kind of stuff. But uh, we're we're always pushing on the envelope on that a little bit, trying to understand where we can fill a void, where we can help a patient, uh, and and serve them better. Yeah, so I think so many pharmacies are probably doing some of those things every day already, if if not in the, in the framework of an a, you know, agreement with one of those managed care organizations. So. How do you go about starting that conversation and, and growing that relationship? Well, that, you know, you're right. All these pharmacies are doing all of this stuff all the time. And, and this is where I want to just throw out to Pioneer. Uh, kudos to you guys for helping build that into the workflow um, and not trying to throw a plug in. But the way you guys have done it in this ever, I know how software can be when things are evolving and you guys have done a great job at trying to keep up with that. And so it's been wonderful. Um, as far as starting those programs, I mean, you know, there's two levels to this. You've got to go after the payer program if you want to try to get paid for it. So whether it be the employer, whether it be, you know, through state legislature or through state relationships, building those relationships and trying to leverage those relationships to show the value we bring uh, is certainly important, and uh, you got to do that. As far as building it within the pharmacy, that's where everybody seems to struggle, including ourselves. Um, you know, we don't have the answer to that yet. It's it's very mm -hmm. difficult. It keeps being this thing that's off to the side, right? This these this patient care thing, this patient management thing, is this extra little project that's going on off to the side. Getting it incorporated totally into workflow has been a challenge. Um, Pioneer does a great job with getting helping us with that, but you know we still we're still not there. Um, I, I had a conversation just the other day with a pharmacist that you know it's great that we're really helping patients with this, like we're really impacting their health, and it's not fair to the patients that we can only do that when we're not busy. We should be able to sure. offer that same level of care when we're busy as we can when we're not. And and that's where we're always struggling. 
Um, and it's just a, it's a mindset and uh, trying to get that mindset, trying to make sure that you're, you're handling and touching those points throughout workflow is, uh, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's definitely an easy conversation to have when you see that there's a drug drug interaction and we, we, when you see something pop up in workflow, I need to call and talk about this problem. Um, I, I think maybe it gets a little bit, um, a little bit harder to, to, to make sure that you're checking in with that patient when there's not a problem on the surface, you know, to, to dig a little deeper and, and make that patient tell you about the problem that maybe, you know, they had in the back of their mind or, you know, something that wouldn't come up if you, if you didn't trigger that opportunity for them to share that with you. That's right. The interventions are easy to, to act on. It's the case where you need to identify an intervention that's hard to act on. And that's what takes a little time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you never know uh, what information is going to come if you can just roll out that first question, <laughs> you know, just start that conversation. So, you know, how do you see that evolving? It's in the typical retail model. A lot of times, you know, the pharmacist is in the back, they're doing verification, um, you know, and the the face-to-face -face interaction with the patient a lot of time is with the least clinical members of the staff. You know, so how do you think that opportunity might be kind of moved to a different point in workflow or, or you know, just dig a little bit deeper than the, you know, everybody gets counseling Oprah rules? Yeah. You know, I always look back at like, say, uh, um, not to throw out like CRM tools and those types of things where when you bring up a, a, a customer, you see all of their information, you kind of see all of the dialogue that's happened, Right. In essence, that's kind of how the e-care plan works. I think over time, we're going to see that, you know, when we go into Pioneer and we bring up a patient, we see their profile. We see a list of all the medications they take. I think over time, we're going to see that switch to when we bring up a patient, we see the dialogue first, and then we dig into the prescription. That's where we've mm -hmm. got to get to. And I'm not saying that that's what needs to happen today, but I think ultimately that's where things need to get to. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, you just kind of touched on a very different mindset. So recently, we've made some changes in Pioneer where we brought a lot of those tools like labs, care plans, and messages right there to that Rx profile. So so that all those tabs are right there. But what what you what you said was like a CRM tool. And and all of a sudden, if you switch to a salesman mentality. <laughs> you're you're going to all of a sudden follow that lead instead of fill those prescriptions and and it's a, it's a little bit different mindset i think it is i'm not sure everybody's ready for it yet but uh it's where it's where it's going to go we've got to get there yeah so you're doing some some interesting things there in the pharmacy to serve those patients so if a patient does come to you with a a chronic disease state so if they come to you with you know a hypertension medication um, what products are you able to offer them or lifestyle coaching? You know, are you, are you able to seize that opportunity when you see, you know, that that patient's going to be struggling outside of just taking that prescription? Yeah. So we've got some clinical pharmacists that do watch for that stuff that are capable of intervening in that manner, uh, you know, through whether it be some coaching, motivational interviewing, that kind of stuff, or whether it be supplements on top of medications that they may be making. Not being a pharmacist, I can't even speak to that. I just speak to the workflow and how they can handle that, how they do that in an efficient and valuable manner. That That's where I always look at it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, are you guys doing a lot of deliveries out there? Because looking at the the, the Google Maps view it seems like you might be serving a very, very large area, which kind of creates a, a few logistical issues. So have you been able to find ways to make that efficient and profitable, or is the delivery kind of been a, a loss leader or just a, a relationship tool? How, how have you kind of leveraged that? Because I imagine you were doing a lot of that prior to COVID as well, and then especially you know during the, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, delivery is a big thing for us. As you said, we're, we're 
rural. It goes way out into various areas of the county. Um, we've been doing it for years, but yes, the pandemic just increased it. It, it made it even more of a need made it more of a convenience for people. Um, and so we do a ton of delivery on a daily basis. We've got, you know, three cars out at all times, uh, moving deliveries out. We've managed to try to make that more efficient, but uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge. It is not a profitable thing. It's something that is truly just for relationship building. It gives the opportunity for delivery drivers to kind of see the environment that a patient's in. Uh, report that back. That's all can be part of that patient care. And uh, so that's that's kind of how we see it. Yeah. You bring up a point that, you know, from a pandemic standpoint, pandemic just changed workflow in general and all across the board, whether all through the pharmacy. And that's one of the big projects we've got for this year is just trying to re-architect workflow now after the pandemic, because, you know, we were probably about 60% of our prescriptions were, were picked up in-store. During the pandemic, we went mostly drive-through or delivery. And so now we're looking at nearly just about 20% of the prescriptions are picked up in-store now. So it wow. certainly changed the way things operate. Yeah, definitely. You know, so have you found that that delivery option is important to not only have that relationship and, and to make sure those patients are getting getting their medications, but have you found that that is a, a way to curtail steering towards mail order um, and make sure that you're able to maintain that level of care that you've probably had for generations in some families? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's retention um, and yeah. it's it's hard to get, you know, when the mail order comes and says it's going to be more convenient to get it by mail, it's a heck no, it's not. Uh, it's more convenient for that delivery driver, Joe, to come bring it to me that I know. That's, um, you know, it's one of those things in a, in a rural area, especially. It's like, man, do I want to drive, you know, 30 minutes uh, to, to Rice's? Maybe they can just transfer that in. So it, I, I imagine there's probably a lot of patients that, you know, you, you've been able to maintain because of that. Uh, another thing that you're doing is the... Uh, open enrollment counseling. So tell me a little bit about that. I think that's a really interesting service that, you know, if, if you're not talking to those patients, there, there's a really good opportunity that they're going to get picked off, you know, and, and steered into one of those mail order situations. Yeah, it's a probability uh, that they're going to get steered into an, into one of those situations. So, you know, it, not all, th this is one of those interesting things that it's a great opportunity for us to maintain that patient and to keep them in the pharmacy. But it is also a huge value to the patient themselves. Um, the, the amount of you know, manipulation or things that I see going wrong with patients in their Medicare plans is, is unbelievable. And to have someone that's on their side to make sure that they're, they're getting into the right plans, helping them make those decisions. I mean, it's one of the, the most confusing things that, you, that I've ever seen. I mean, only the government could come up with Medicare and make it that confusing, right? And they don't understand it, rightfully so. And giving them an option to try to just boil it down help them understand, help them make a wise decision has been a great value for them. Uh, and it, it's good to see and it, just how much it helps them. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, in that situation, a, a lot of people are probably looking, you know, to the same decision-making tools they, they look to in, in other areas of their life. So they're going to look to their, their spouse, their friends, their, you know, somebody else who has had that same experience. And maybe they found a plan that worked great for them. So that's the one I'll use when that might be really, really um, detrimental given their regimen. So, you know, I, I could really make their co-pays go up and, and all those things. So you see that all the time, the husband and wife on the same plan. I had one come in last year uh, during open enrollment. They they had signed up for the same plan. Husband liked it. Wife got the same one. Found another plan that literally saved her five thousand dollars for the year. I mean, so it it that's the kind of value that they see in it, and it, it's great. We've all we've even gone so far as um, we've partnered with a a local agency that uh, helps with this. So it's it's been a great 
great tool. Very cool. So um, you've got the second location there. Tell me a little bit about that second location and how those two locations are able to work together and uh, independently, of course. Sure. The second location, like I said before, it's a very small clinic pharmacy in, in, in a small town. I think town has about four or 500 people is all it is. Um, and we went in in partnership with the local hospital. Um, so they put in a clinic, we put in a pharmacy alongside, and it has been a great value for that community. 30 minutes away, they're 30 minutes away from anything. And uh, having the pharmacy there in town, is they've been very appreciative of it. It's been a great, great uh, service for them. It's nothing like our, our store in Beaver Dam. Um, you know, it's a low volume. It's very small. Um, but we offer that same level of relationship building. And uh, so it's been good, you know, with, with the link between Pioneer with Central Server and those things. It's been great because we don't have to have the same hours. You know, we, we were open late hours uh, in our Beaver Dam location. And the small store doesn't have to have that. They can still, if they want to drive after hours, 30 minutes, they can still get their prescriptions through that because of that link. Um, so it's been, it's been a great, uh, great addition to our, to our services. Nice. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you had central office there or not. Um, if you're not familiar with central office and you're watching this, that just gives you the ability to basically operate two independent pharmacies and easily share prescriptions so a patient can get one refill here one refill there and you're able to manage everything centrally uh so aptly named um <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i guess with uh with having those uh you know that 30 minute drive you wouldn't necessarily think that there's going to be patient overlap but as i've lived in a rural community everything's 30 minutes away. So a 30 minute drive is a, you know, it's, it's no big deal in those situations. <laughs> it is. It, it was a tough decision because of that. What you're saying is tough decision to open that store because literally we weren't adding patients by opening that store. We were just transitioning patients for the most part. So, um, but it's been a good, good thing. Yeah. So have you, have you explored the option of, you know, moving out into other rural opportunities, whether it's, you know, um, one day a week or a pickup location or things like that to, to better connect with some of those other rural parts uh, of Kentucky? Yeah, we've looked at expansion. We look at different areas and seeing if there's opportunities for that. One of our guiding principles, though, is, you know, independent pharmacy needs to be a community. And, and we don't want to go into a place where we're going to step on somebody else. If they are serving those patients, they need to keep serving it. I don't want to just go in just to compete with them. Uh, and so finding that great opportunity where you're not doing that, uh, you know, luckily has, has been a challenge so far. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, good for the, uh, members of those communities that they, they have an option and, you know, also that they're, uh, those limited options there are being, uh, you know, uh, ran, ran well. <laughs> so 2023, um, what do you see changing there? You guys have been doing uh, Rice's Pharmacy there for, what, 60 years? I guess 1968, was it? 1968, that's right. So uh, we've been here for a while. A lot of changes in that time. So what what... What other changes do you have on the horizon? What are you excited about these days? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got lots of things that we're working on. Um, we we've just had meetings this uh, last month about you know what the strategic plan is for 2023. Coming out of the pandemic, we spent two three years just trying to keep our head above water, right? Uh, and so it's just block and tackle is all you could do. And so this is one of those unique times again where we can just kind of vision and try to figure out what's the plan. So we've got. We've got nearly 50 some odd projects uh, that we're we've gotten works for 2023 that we're trying to accomplish. Uh, so things from team development, things that relate to the team, things that relate to operations, the products we sell, the principles we have. Uh, so those are all kind of the areas that we focus around. Nice. So um, we'll start with that one. I want to uh, see if I can pry another one off your list, but let's, let's start with the, uh, with the teams, because that was something that, uh, I also ran across when I was web sleuthing and, and found that, um, you know, you, you do have a lot of longtime employees, 
uh, in a community that is so small, you're going to have those personal relationships with all of your employees, with all of your customers, um, and, and probably a much different job market than um, people may have in, in a more urban setting. So, you know, how have you kind of managed those teams and, and those team relationships to, um, you know, make it through the great resignation, as it were? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a challenge. So, you know, we face that just like everybody else uh, when, when you know, a few months ago, about a year ago, I guess, when the great resignation, you know, you start seeing the turnover and uh, we had to take a stance to try to figure out how do we pump the brakes on this? How do we stop this turnover? Um, we've got a great team. We can't lose it. And so we, we did several things to try to do that, uh, you know, through, through appreciation, through professional development, through, um, you know, growth of employees. One of our guiding principles is we don't just give raises just to give raises. We give promotions. And so our goal is always, you know, some people certainly deserve more pay. And our goal is always to try to promote. How do we grow them so that they can grow to a new position? Uh, mm. And that, that's the goal. So more pay just breeds entitlement, and we can't we can't do that. Yeah, yeah, we've done that. We've done lots of things. The other thing we found was during that time, in, in this kind of this new job market, this new group of employees that come in, kind of from that social media age, where everything has to have that instant feedback, and they're looking for that instant acknowledgement or instant recognition. And us as employers, we can't do that instantly. Like we cannot constantly do that for everybody. We're dealing with a team of about 50 people and I can't do that for everyone. And so we've built into program, uh, brought in a, a program that will allow them to encourage and grow each other. And so they can, you know, Hey, you did a great job at the window or helping me with that patient. Uh, and, and they give away points. And so it's been this neat aspect where they can trade points and use those points to buy gift cards and different things. So it's, it's kind of been neat to see that growth, that encouragement and that positivity grow in the culture. So. Nice. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the things that people get out of their role in community pharmacy intrinsically is that, that satisfaction of serving uh, of, you know, that, that instant feedback they get every time they help a, a customer, you know, uh, when a patient comes in with a problem and they're able to do something to positively affect somebody else, that, that intrinsically has a reward that that I think is probably a greater motivator than just a, a raise, anyways, or else they'd be doing something else. Um, you know, so so that's definitely that's right. I heard a quote the other day that they said, uh, "Your best employees are actually volunteers." Because they could probably make money somewhere, more money somewhere else, right? So they're staying with you because they're volunteering that difference to be with you, to have that satisfaction in the pay, in helping the patient, to have that satisfaction to work in your culture. And so, you know, you got to view those, those those good employees you've got, the good team members, as, as volunteers. Yeah, that's that's an interesting interesting approach. Any any other, you know, um, advice in in that area? Was it a, a certain uh, program that you followed, or or a certain, um, uh, you know, professional development uh, approach that you've taken, or, or just kind of a culmination of many different things over the years? Yeah. So the big thing we did is we broke down all the different roles in the pharmacy, and instead of just saying you've got technicians, I've got 30 technicians, you've got different layers of technicians, right? They have got different titles. They've got different growth mm. paths. And so we, we develop that growth path, put that out to the team so they know what their next layer is, where, where their next rung on the ladder can be and what they've got to accomplish to get to that. And so it, it, it gives them satisfaction. Uh, it would give me satisfaction to know where my next level is and how I can get there. Nice. I love that because the the tech role especially is such a a varied role, you know, from across the country and from store to store. If you go to, you know, a chain store or if you go to a a small independent with, you know, one or two technicians that have been there for years, their responsibilities could vary so greatly. Um so to be able to actually acknowledge that and and have a title and and kind of that 
that designation and, and acknowledgement is pretty, pretty substantial in itself. Um, I think that's something that definitely every pharmacy can do. And in fact, um, you know, you can use the roles and permissions in the software to, you know, allow those permissions and, and give, give those reminders and, and tangible kind of, um, a reality of that role and instead of just something that, that exists and, and in the ether. Uh, but that's definitely something that every pharmacy can do. Yeah. I mean, the last thing you want is a technician. Like we were seeing it. You got a technician that came in five years later, they still see themselves as a technician and that's all. Um, we see their growth. We see how much they've grown and all the new different responsibilities they've taken on. And, and their pay has probably reflected that over the five years. But to them, they just see themselves as a technician. You got to change that. So utilizing what's in Pioneer for um, the tech levels, uh, you know, the new responsibilities, the new uh, permissions that are given, that's great. Using things like Pioneer University to help grow them in those new roles as well. So those are all tools to be used in the process. Yeah. What a, what a great way to fight that kind of feeling of I've been here five years and maybe I've plateaued when, you know, they're just doing such a great job and don't feel that way. So, yeah, I love that. That's uh that's something I'm going to make sure we talk about at connect. I'm going to put that in my tips and tricks class. <laughs> it's a great idea. Go for it, Will. <laughs> so when you're, um, when you're not there at the pharmacy, um, you know, you're, you're also wearing a lot of other hats, uh, helping other pharmacies in the state. So through your uh, role with NCPA and, and with CPESN, uh, but also the Kentucky Pharmacy Association, uh, you're definitely keeping busy making sure that the profession moves forward as well. So how did... Um, how did that become something that you realized was important and you felt that you needed to devote a portion of your time to, to that specifically? Yeah, when we saw reimbursements start going down, we saw the impact of the PBMs, um, you know, several years ago. It, it, we had to come up with a strategy of how to, how to fight this. And I think every pharmacy out there did the same thing, right? Our strategy is, is that you've got to fight it on multiple levels. You've got to fight it, A, in your pharmacy. You can't just do business as usual, right? Your operations has to handle that, um, and it has to evolve and change. So we got to fight it in the operations. You've got to fight it in showing value in the service that you offer. So not just pills in the bottle, right? We've got to show value through CPSN, through clinical uh, works, showing that not those services, those things that you're doing to help a patient that you're always doing, we've got to document that. That's got to be out there somewhere so that somebody sees that. Uh, so we've got to show value. And then you've also got to fight it legislatively. We've got to be in front of legislators. We've got to be in front of state, federal. We've got to keep pushing on this thing. It is not right. It is not fair. Um, it's it, it. It should be. There is illegal actions going on here. I'm convinced. But we've got to fight that and show that. And um, so that's how I got involved. Is is building the fight. Most pharmacies. I'm in that unique position. Not because I've got a better position, but. I'm in a position where I'm not tied to the bench like most pharmacy owners are. Um, it's just a unique position. And so I've got the opportunity to go. Um, you know, luckily, I can go to Frankfurt uh, in, in Kentucky here. I can go to D.C. and meet with legislators and talk about these things. And so that's how I got involved with KPHA, Kentucky Pharmacists Association, serve on the Government Affairs Committee for them. I'm also on the board of Kentucky Independent Pharmacy Alliance uh, for an, an alliance of just independent pharmacies across the state where we're constantly fighting things here in the state as well. We're also working with James Comer in D.C. Uh, if you saw recently the, the hearings on PBMs, you know, he le he's leading that charge. And so we're constantly pushing on this in all three levels. Yeah, yeah. I've been watching all of that. It was really great to see some of the community pharmacies get to uh, – share their voice on that. Osterhouse did an amazing job. Um, and, and it seems like Kentucky is really in a unique position, given that you actually have a couple of representatives for your state that have firsthand experience uh, with 
Donald Douglas, but then also Danny Bentley, who himself was a rock star pharmacist that I'm going to have to have on this show uh, one day. He may be, he may be uh, too hard to get to these days, but... <laughs> You'd be in for a treat. So he's a funny one. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a pharmacist and he's a great advocate for, for our profession at the state level. Yeah, I, I feel like there's, you know, again, so many different businesses looking to, you know, a- improve their um, their business culture and, and their industry and, and fighting to get the ear of those uh, representatives. And so to have somebody who's actually a pharmacist, um, and, and really has a unique understanding of, of the intricacies of PBMs and pharmacy billing can be a great help. So right now there's a couple interesting bills going through. You have the HB 350 and SB 149. So what changes do you see coming down the pipeline in Kansas City or in uh, uh, Kansas City and Kentucky <laughs> that may be able to, you know, help help influence the rest of the country? Yeah, uh- you know, we're seeing we've got, you know, a PBM reform bill that uh, is modeled after a lot of the other states, Arkansas and some others, that is just trying to rein in the the, you know, the the reach of PBMs and what they can do. Um, you know, unfortunately, this session, we're, we're dealing with a short session. They only meet for just a few days. And so we don't have a lot of time to get things through, but we're pushing hard and it would certainly impact. You know, it's always hard to be the first one to get it out there. It's even, you know, it, it's a little easier for the second one. But uh, as we see these things happen across the country, uh, we will see the change happen. Yeah, it definitely, definitely seems like there's there's been a wave of, of momentum and awareness. You know, two or three years ago, I don't think anybody knew what a PBM was unless – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you were getting the claw back in the mail every now and then, you know, you you didn't know what what a PBM was, and I, I feel like at this point, um, you know, it's at least common knowledge that there's a problem. Um, and I know the first quarter of 2024 is going to be difficult, but it's it's you know a big step for transparency, and and nothing can really change until you have that. That's right. Being able to highlight the impact and being able to highlight how it impacts a specific script, I think, is going to be key. It's going to be painful, but it's going to be a key. And you bring up a good point. Like I said, they can't they couldn't spell it a few years ago. And I I teach a class at uh, at Columbia University in New York. So uh, I come up as a guest lecturer once a year and I've been talking about this for for probably about eight, nine years. I've been doing this. In the first class that I talked to, and we talked about PBMs, we talked about healthcare, basically pricing, drug pricing, and that kind of stuff. And I threw in the whole PBM concept and what's going on and the impact that's having on drug pricing. And they didn't understand it at all. Like I had to take three steps back, explain the landscape, really try to explain how it all works to them. Now I go up and I just mention PBM and they already understand what it's mm. what it's about. So the education is certainly happening. It's happening in the universities. It's happening all the way through the healthcare system. So that's that's a huge plus and and shows great great momentum that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting just to to see the the conversation and and the awareness change. Um, you know, it's it's not the the pharmacy making up this price. It's not that. You need to go to Canada because drug manufacturers are just more expensive here because they're greedy here, but they're not greedy in Canada. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's a lot of other factors at play. And even even recently, and uh, I, I wanted to get your take on this because I thought it was interesting. The story that everyone sees is that Eli Lilly is cutting insulin prices 70%. When the real story is you know, Eli Lilly has two alternatives to insulin that are being released into the market. And now the big three manufacturers for insulin are really going to be kind of uh, facing just one major manufacturer with those two alternatives that are, I guess, biosimilar, if not generic. But uh, so even even in that great news story, it was really interesting to see how the facts were just a, a little bit skewed to tell the story in a certain way, uh, even if it is great news, um, 
there's definitely more to the story than than what the the average consumer I think is going to take from the headlines. Yeah, I agree. I saw the same thing. You know, you're dealing with the biosimilar that's coming out that's literally only going to be five dollar difference. So, you know, they're just preempting this, and so yeah, that that's what people aren't seeing coming coming along the pike. Yeah. So any other exciting news you see out there? Any exciting changes you're looking for in 2023 and 2024? It can't come soon enough, but uh, <laughs> I, I hope we're seeing some change. Uh, you know, seeing the things that are coming out through the FTC, I think is exciting. I remain optimistic. I remain very optimistic that change is happening. And uh, I hope it happens sooner than later, but uh, I still op- am optimistic that it's going to happen. Yeah. So um, back in the summer 2023, into the new normal, trade show season approaching. Uh, how are you feeling about the trade show season? Are you going to be out making the rounds and uh, in, the, in the new normal, back out on just like we were before COVID? Or what's your summer look like? Oh, yeah. I'll be at all of them, I'm sure. Uh, I know I'll be at, uh, in Nashville with you guys. Uh, so I'm certainly looking forward to that. That's always a great show. Uh, so I, I try to make as many as I can. Uh, I always learn something, whether it be in the, the sessions and sitting through sessions or just talking to folks across the table. Uh, always learn something that's valuable. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing you out on the road this summer. I'm going to let you get back to work today. Uh, and serve your community. But thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to catching up with you later on and and seeing uh, what you've marked off of that list and what worked and what didn't work. I'll keep you updated. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.